0: Hey, it's Greg. Thanks for joining us for the Toronto Today podcast for Friday the 13th while we come off a Leafs defeat to the Tampa Bay Lightning Game 7 over the weekend. If you're listening to this podcast and you already know what happened in Game 7, don't tell me. I don't want to know. I want to watch the game live or on delay to some extent. Maybe I'll fast forward through the intermissions, but don't tell me what happens. But we had to talk about the Game 6 overtime defeat. Two city councilors on the show as well, including Josh Matlow, who got turned down rather flatly for an amendment, uh, a legislation that would allow Torontonians to have a drink in certain city parks. And we can't do that. You got to stick to the water fountain or the garden hose or your warm soda, whatever you bring. Anyway, it's all part of the podcast today. Toronto Today begins now. We talked to Jugmeet Singh, ironically, on Tuesday, and uh, he is scheduled to do a, uh, a rally with Andrea Horvath today. I think he'll still do that in Hamilton. I haven't heard otherwise, but we're talking about what transpired in uh, Peterborough on Tuesday afternoon. Joining us and being kind enough to do so with her time is Mayor Diane Dianterian, the uh, mayor of the city of Peterborough. I was going to say it's great to have you on. We'll have you on under better circumstances, but I, we thought it was important that that you get your say because Peterborough is amazing. I, I go and I live in Ajax, so Peterborough is close. I know lots of people that have their kids go to Trent. Uh, I've come up there and broadcast games at that legendary arena before. Yeah. So, so it's got a special place in my heart. You had to be beyond um, disturbed by what you saw on Tuesday.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the unfortunate reality is that this isn't new. Um, we've been dealing with, there's always been, you know, toxicity in politics and the pandemic has really exacerbated that. Um, and given, uh, you know, given these people um, some kind of fodder, even though it's highly inaccurate and they don't really even know what they're protesting anymore, in my, in my view. Um, but yeah, to come out and to be uh, intimidating and verbally harassing Jagmeet, uh just completely unacceptable, reprehensible. I know that the vast majority of the community, whether people are, you know, support NDP or not, have been unequivocal in, in condemning this kind of nonsense behavior. It's just sickening.
0: Well, I've heard I've heard from those people um, on on the show either texting in or listening. Our signal gets up to Peter Peterborough, which we're, we're thankful for. But they are, you know, they're very much um, of the mind that uh, they they want to do something and they want it out there. That yes, this is not a Peterborough thing. This is a uh, you know a few people and a few very aggressive militant people. And as I mentioned, and you mentioned you're no stranger to this in Peterborough. I, I know that there's a restaurant there called Peter Burgers that has violated the city noise law. They have not, uh, followed, um, you know, uh, protocol when yeah. it comes to vaccines, it's a problem. And authorities are well aware of that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I hate giving these guys more publicity cause it's, you know, it is what they want. Um, and I, and I know also that this, you know, the problem is, is very pronounced in Peterborough, but it's, it's happening across Ontario and across and across the country. And I've heard from other uh, elected officials, um, you know, going into a municipal election season about the, just the the atmosphere has shifted so much under COVID and there's just so much um, vitriol. And um, I think it's a lot of just misplaced anger. A lot of folks are tired and they're, they're angry and they don't really know where to direct it. And so those of us that have put ourselves out as public figures, um, which, you know, we did knowing that you're always going to take some heat for stuff, but, but this is just above and beyond. Um, and just disgusting. And I mean, the folks that organize that and, um, you know, told their, hmm. told their lackeys to go down and show up, like they have a history. They've been doing this for months and months and months in our community. Um, and I've been, you know, there's only so much that I can do as mayor mm-hmm. uh, and council. And so we've been talking about, you know, how, how to respond to this latest stuff because it's <laughs> it's like another example. It happens too often that our town, which has so much amazing stuff to offer, makes like national headlines for all the wrong reasons.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly, exactly, which is why we wanted to ha- have you on. I, I I don't like it, and I don't like the name uh, that it's getting, and, and you'd be even more pronounced about it. By the way, just to reset, we're speaking with Mayor De- Diantarian from Peterborough, talking about uh, the, uh, you know, harassment and, uh, in essence, uh, an assault of Jagmeet Singh as he got yeah. into his car. Did you notice this during the federal election? The, the water temperature was pretty high in the fall as well. We we had to reference it several times. What was Peterborough like the, when there was a federal election here last fall diane
1: yeah it was you know we had our former uh mp Miriam Monsef, who dealt with a a horrendous campaign a lot of racist stuff a lot of real just really gross behavior um you know i've been vocal in in condemning these guys and um you know in not so polite terms on twitter which Mm -hmm. sometimes gets me into trouble um but uh you know, I also call on our other elected officials to speak up and do something. And, you know, unfortunately, our, our member of parliament now um, has been basically supportive of the convoy behaviors and hasn't, you know, come out strongly enough to condemn them. And the same with our member of provincial parliaments, which is frustrating. Um, and so I yeah, it's uh, it's definitely the last few elections have gotten really Rose, As we know, politics has always been a dirty game, um, but I think you know the the widespread use of social media for disinformation and for um, organizing campaigns to kind of go and and harass people. And we saw that as well with our medical officer of health. Some of these idiots, if I can say that on the air, uh, which is more polite than what I would normally say, um, you know, showed up at our medical officer of health's home. Um, And that, you know, it's just not, you know, it's just not, it's not acceptable. It's reprehensible. I know that our police chief, and I'm a member of the police board, Mm -hmm. uh, there's limitations to what we can do about that, but they are, I think, taking it quite seriously.
0: They want uh, there's a couple more questions I want to get in, so uh, I'll try and be as quick as I can. They are looking for more video. I know you can't direct police. That's not the job and that's, that's not the down. job of any mayor or public official. But they um, the, the news stories we have is they're looking to gather more footage, potentially either to identify people, I suppose, or to see if there are potential police charges that they can lay.
1: Yeah. And I mean, the thing is, to, um from my understanding, and I'm not on Facebook, but these, you know, the organizers of these fascist protests post on their Facebook Live hours before Jagmeet was in town telling their people to go down and, you know, tell him he's not welcome here. So that footage is online. Um, and I've seen, you know, one or two videos, but you can see in the videos too, everybody's got their cell phones out recording it. So there's got to mm-hmm. be a ton of footage out there. Um So... I'll, you know, going to be following up with the police chief a little bit later just to get an update about what's happening there. But I know that they've also talked to the RCMP and so they're they are investigating.
0: Mayor Dianterian is kind of to join us uh, from Peterborough. Here's the thing as well. Like there's an element of there's a lot of a lot of movement, right? Omicron's changed a lot of people's perspectives. We can have conversation. There's a lot of things. Um, your your chief medical officer is, is Dr. Pigott. There's things he's very aggressive, very, very, you know, he want, wanted yeah. to bring a mask mandate back. There's things he and I would disagree about. But I think if we sat down or even if we had him on the show It'd be civil and we would talk about data and we like, that's how that's how it's supposed to be. That's how it has to be. And I think I'm getting your I'm getting the sense from you. This has been a massive problem. And then people get more entrenched and people on every side get more aggressive about it. It's not good.
1: Yeah. And, you know, and the bottom line is the folks that are that are doing this kind of behavior like are are irrational people and Mm -hmm. you can't reason with them. You're not going to be able to talk to them and provide evidence and here's data they don't care about that um you know they spend so much time on Facebook like listening to and then regurgitating misinformation um Mm. so it's you know it's about just not trying to change their minds because in in my view you're not going to be able to do it with people like that but at least letting them know that there are consequences for their actions and that's you know part of the broader thing that we've seen yeah months here and then especially pronounced in Ottawa as people conduct themselves in this freaking despicable behavior because they haven't seen any consequences and they don't they don't think they're going to see any consequences for it but the community here is fed up we've heard so much from our constituents over the last couple of days and again all across the political spectrum whether people you know will say like I don't support the NDP but like I am so sorry that this happened mm. to Me. Jagme- what can the community do to respond and then to try to rehabilitate our reputation because these guys are just a stain on our reputation.
0: TGIF! I do not and cannot and will not support the notion that it's ever going to be okay to carry kegs of beer and cases of beer and cases of wine into the parks. But not really in Toronto. Don't open the door. It's a No Fun Toronto Friday! Honestly, this quote, I'm seeing it for the first time. Uh, Counselor Stephen Holliday, who's often on John Oakley's show. So um, you can listen, you know, if you enjoy, uh, uh, you know, that and Stephen's perspective. I haven't seen this quote before. I grew up knowing there were two places you could consume alcohol in the privacy of your home or in a licensed establishment. Okay. Okay. Um we used to be able to smoke on airplanes, okay? Um the United States used to have segregated drinking fountains. There's been some evolution since then. Uh Councilor Holiday War to Tobacco Center. Um what was a, a little bit disturbing as well to some is the idea of hiring private security guards um to uh, patrol public parks. And the concept is not to enforce uh things like drinking, not to enforce uh, other bylaws, but for the specific preservation of the parks and preventing homeless encampments from setting up. Um, I suppose the, they could make the case. This is their case. They want to avoid um, the scenes that we saw in uh, late June, early July of last year when some of the homeless encampments, there was a, uh, the, the scenes at Trinity Bellwoods Park, we'd all remember them. And the city spent a lot of money, millions of dollars to do that. Uh, on June 22nd was Trinity Bellwoods. It was Lamport Stadium a little bit later. Um, I'm eager to bring on uh, our next guest, who is Diana Chan McNally. She's the training and engagement coordinator for the Toronto Drop-In Network, and does some great work uh, advocacy-wise and activist-wise uh, in the city of Toronto. Diana, thank you very much for uh, for making the time uh, on our show, and, and we're happy to have you.
2: Yeah, absolutely. My pleasure. Thank you for having
0: me. Can you make... um. Can you uh, come back on at 810 and uh, talk more? About- <laughs> 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 OK, <laughs> we'll see how this goes first. Um, give me your senses. To, uh, you know, I see some of that uh, footage. They uh, they documented again the idea of the security guards and they showed some more footage from last summer. I'll tell you what, it's just it's just as harrowing and just as concerning as um, as as it was in the summer. You, you probably revisit some of that and you think did this actually happen? but it certainly did.
2: It it really did, and it really does feel like a dream at this point. Um, But the reality is that, you know, the city really takes to heart that they do not want to have visible homelessness, particularly in the downtown core. Uh, And the idea of setting up this kind of private security uh, is deeply, deeply problematic and, quite frankly, indefensible. Uh, If we're talking about avoiding homeless encampments in the park, frankly, nobody wants people to be living in the park. It's not safe. It's not healthy. I think we can all agree on that. Uh, But this is not going to deter people from living outdoors. What this is, is essentially human security cameras, um, rent a cops Mm -hmm. Uh, And they add absolutely no value to homelessness services in the city. They're simply there to surveil people, to watch them, and they do not provide any direct service to them. So how this is actually going to address encampments and address homelessness is incredibly oblique and, in my opinion, uh, is incredibly shady. Uh, of the city to be doing this.
0: When we looked last summer, how much of uh, obviously the homeless encampments grew in numbers, they swelled in numbers. How much of that do we look back and say uh, that that was COVID related, that people were worried about being in shelters, worried about uh, their own security, um, worried about the, the, the virus itself? And I guess we could even go back and say clearly that would have been the case maybe in 2020 as well. Do we have a different summer this year because of that?
2: think so. You know, If you actually look at the shelter system, there are outbreaks currently. There's about 10 of them. Mm -hmm. Uh, So COVID for us is absolutely ongoing. But if we're talking about safety uh, and good health in the shelter system, it's not merely about COVID. And it certainly wasn't the only reason why people didn't want to go inside. Uh, We've seen huge escalation in violence uh, in the shelter system. And for people who are racialized, for women, for folks who are non-binary, it can be a deeply unsafe place to go. And many people will avoid it. Uh, quite frankly. Now, that said, uh, even if you do want to go into the shelter system, we've been operating at almost 100% capacity for months now, for years, actually. So even if you're attempting to get a bed, you are not actually able to get one. So what is your alternative there? If there's not housing, if there's not a shelter system for you to access, uh, and you generally feel safer where you have autonomy, you have control about where you are uh, and who is around you, you're going to live outdoors. This is nothing new. Uh, The city of Toronto has had encampments, especially in the modern era, for about 40 years. Uh, They just became so much more visible during the pandemic, but they're still there.
0: When we talked about this last summer on the show, um, so many people uh, pointed me in the direction, I sort of already headed there, but they they really emphasized the concept of tiny homes. And though there are problems uh, with homelessness in, in big cities, and every city, every big city is going to have homeless people, but I think the economy, I think COVID, it's it certainly, it, it's gotten exponentially worse. Of course it has in the last four or five years. But when I look at what they're doing in Seattle, when I look at what they're doing, uh, even in, in a city that's, uh, that, that's having some interior strife right now, now, like Chicago they're starting to build these tiny homes and uh, and and no doubt at the end of the day and this just seems like inarguable right now, building these homes, setting people up, getting them started, being able to have access to help them also if they are suffering personal problems if they are suffering any kind of addiction issues and just being able to to you know get meet people where they're at. Not only is there a moral aspect to this, Diana, but there's also an economic aspect that it's going to save any city money in the long run to do this.
2: Absolutely. I mean, you can make moral argument. That's the easy argument, at least for me Mm -hmm. to make. Uh, But there's a fiscal argument, I think, as well. And I think you're right that if we deployed something like tiny homes, uh, we would absolutely be saving costs in terms of people accessing the emergency room, for example. Uh, And, you know, one of the things that people don't think about is your ability to get a full night's sleep. Uh, when you're experiencing homelessness and if you're sleeping rough, uh, it's incredibly difficult to do that. And what the tiny homes provided to people was enough security that they could actually rest for eight hours, which in terms of your mental health, your physical health, has a huge impact on how you're feeling. And again, will actually stave off those additional health care costs uh, because people can actually sleep well.
0: What would you prefer the city spend the the rent-a-cop money on? What what works? If they, if they've budgeted, if they've allocated that money, and they said this this is for our parks, this is for uh, the homeless issue. What's a better what's a better spend?
2: Why in the world would you actually contract people who have add no value to homelessness services whatsoever? really what you need to do is reallocate that funding to outreach services so these are folks who are already going to parks who are already interacting with people making sure that they're well but there's that added value again of providing direct service to people whether that is housing help or delivering food or water or just checking in with people to see that they're okay um instead we're just putting people into parks who are simply watching Uh, people and trying to deter them simply through their presence. Why would you not put in outreach workers who actually have the capacity to help people? Um, You know, again, that's a moral argument, but it's also a fiscal argument because you're adding value to the position. And in fact, we already have outreach workers? Why would you not expand those programs uh, and, again, provide direct service to people in parks? So logically, I think that's the only way that we should be spending this money.
0: That's so well said. Diana Chan-McNally is the training and engagement coordinator for the Toronto Drop-In Network. I- I've got under a minute, but to, to emphasize that, yeah, the security guards, um, they, you know, they're not exactly trained in uh, handling a mental health situation. I would hope they know, um, I would hope they know CPR, but, uh, it, it, you know, I don't, I, I think there's an intimidating presence. I think if you spend it on, on people that can, again, meet people where they're at deescalate and not escalate situations. And yes, if something violent is happening, if something is problematic, of course that then you've got a then you've got a call to make to, to bring in reinforcements, but you start at, a, at a, at more of a flat line in terms of being able to have conversations, not enforce things.
2: Yeah, no one is going to be trusting the fact that there are security guards who are essentially watching them. And when we're talking about people experiencing homelessness, we're talking about disproportionately Indigenous people, Black people, trans folk. Uh, folks living with disability who are already facing so many barriers, uh, and you're basically enacting this additional layer of kind of a cursoral setting upon them. Uh, that's deeply traumatizing, and it actually will erode trust between people who are living outdoors and the city itself. So it's just going to be a no-win situation for everybody. Mm-hmm.
0: What a, what a pleasure having you on, Diana. Thanks very much for uh, for making this uh, this case, and I, I know it's going to be a conversation point as the summer continues. And um, and and as as maybe maybe just maybe you're. you're your favorite toronto morning show will you will you will you please come back again
2: Uh, sure absolutely anytime (laughs) (laughs) all
0: right you you win the concert tickets and the dinner for two fantastic (laughs) thanks very much for coming on
2: my pleasure thank you diana
0: chan mcnally uh is with uh the To drop-in network um we'll get to uh the seven o'clock news with dave bradley a little follow-up on this i'm interested to talk a little bit more about this and we're real busy in the seven o'clock hour we're going to talk to the mayor of peterborough that city and that town under a lot of attention based on what happened to Jugmeet Singh on Tuesday. And I think they should be. Let's see what she says about it next hour. Different debate. It's not because mm. you legally allow the people who are acting responsibly to do it. In fact, you, you know, some of my colleagues were saying, yeah. but we need more enforcement. You don't need more enforcement if something's legal. Hundred percent, a hundred percent. Um, got, I got twenty seconds. Uh, Leafs uh, get yeah. it done tomorrow night, or, or are you absolutely panicked? And it's more of the same. What, 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 what are we looking at tomorrow night? I, I'm, 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 I'm an optimist, but I'm also a realist. And uh, I was born after nineteen sixty seven, so I, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I, I, let's just say I always live in hope. But I, I, I'm not, you know, I don't have, I don't have great expectations. But I live in hope. Let's bring on uh, Brad Bradford, city councilor for Ward 19, Beaches East York. Uh, he joins Toronto today right now. Brad, it's it's great to have you on. Um, and by the way, you're you're in a great ride. I've been to that history. I went to a concert last week at that history concert venue. I can't believe how nice the venue is. I can't. That's in your neighborhood, right?
3: That's our part of town. They've done a phenomenal oh job. Oh, my what God.
0: Uh, orchestral maneuvers in the dark. And I went, I went alone and I got a sore throat as a result. I didn't get COVID, but I got to, I'm like, that's what that's like when I'm, I'm being an idiot and I'm screaming, uh, I'm singing the lyrics back to the band and nobody wants me around them to do that. But that's, that's what that feels like. Again, it was great to be back.
3: It's a great There's venue. A lot of- there's a lot of excitement and exuberance we all want to get out there see the live music support the venues and history is uh one of the best in the city so everybody get out to the east End check it out
0: I, some shows I, I've seen uh yeah some great shows later in the summer I think it may be the best it it reminded me of uh I used to come up from London see shows at, at warehouse and RPM but it's but it's state of the art and it, it the state the uh the audience the general admission curves the balcony curves the bars were great it was I, I think it's a phenomenal phenomenal thing to add to your community it's awesome
3: Well, you know, we got the Junos going on this week in Toronto, which is really exciting Mm -hmm. for for music in Canada. And having a venue like History in that sort of 2,300-person sweet spot, it means you get a lot of really good touring bands. Uh, you get a lot of good acts it's bigger than something like Danforth Music Hall which is more like an 1100 person capacity uh but you know it's not as big as say uh Rico Coliseum or something so it's a nice intimate environment uh they've done a phenomenal job and uh, i hope everybody gets out there this summer
0: i had a great time last week i couldn't stop raving about it and i knew it was new because my my shoes were not sticking um to the floor and and some of those and older <laughs> <laughs> that does uh, that does happen now we're having a, we're having a fun time chatting i don't want to paint you as a as a, uh, you know, we're having the uh, the uh, amusing no fun Toronto Friday, you are one of the counselors that said, let's wait a year and talk about drinking in parks. Now, you weren't as pronounced as some counselors were about it. Tell me tell me what you see on this issue. Why why do we need more time to look at this?
3: Well, so I actually uh, I was down on the list to speak and we called the question, which just for the listeners, that means we just took it straight to a vote. So I didn't have an opportunity to sort of weigh in on this. So I'm happy we're doing it now. You know, I, I support it and um, I that that might be a little bit uh, controversial, I suppose, in some circles. I think we need to get there, but mm-hmm. the way that we do it is important. And, um, you know, I, I'll i be the first to admit I've had a couple pops in some of our parks here in Toronto, uh, like I think a lot of us have. And this to me, the way that this was brought forward, uh, just coming straight onto the floor of council rather than putting the time in, doing the work, working with staff to figure out how we would actually do it. You know, it actually matters not to get into the details and minutiae of City Hall, but it matters how these things come forward, it matters how you craft the policy and uh, sometimes you bring a motion to chase the headlines. uh, And other times you put in the time and do the work to actually get something passed so that's what Council decided on I think they're going to take it away the staff are going to do that work now and come up with. You know, a program or a process to facilitate that, but I would also suggest, you know, like. Last year, there, were, there there were two tickets, uh, you know, issued for for the drinking in parks. It's not something that, you know, staff or bylaw are actively out there cracking down on. And I think most Torontonians can be responsible adults and, like I said, go out there and have a a pop or a bottle of wine or something in the in the park, and it's not a big deal. Um, bad actors will continue to be bad actors whether this is permitted or not. So, you know, I I'm the councillor for Woodbine Beach, and obviously, lots of oh my gosh, yeah. Yeah, it's it's kind of party central sometimes. Um, but those people, you know, are breaking bylaws anyways. So I kind of suggest like we can do this. A lot of folks can have a responsible, enjoyable drink in the park. It's not a big deal. Uh, but bad actors will still be bad actors. So while mm. some of my colleagues felt like this was going to be an avalanche of, uh, you know, new sort of issues that we would be dealing with, being the counselor at Woodbine Beach, I'm like, we're already dealing with those issues. That already happens. So how do we build a, a framework, bring a pathway forward so that we can do this responsibly, uh, make sure that folks are able to enjoy a drink in the park, um, but also make sure that we have the resources to deal with the folks who you know, are throwing ragers on the beach or in the party and, and not being the best neighbors. So it's that balance. Mm. I think ultimately this failed because of the, you know, the way that that was brought forward by the counselor. Uh, the work hadn't been done, consulted with colleagues, consulted with staff. And uh, I know those are details, but that stuff matters. And, you know, there's some of us uh, at City Hall that like to get things done. And there's other people that, uh, you know, like to chase the headlines. OK,
0: OK. So so would you be disappointed if it wasn't approved 12 months from now? Would you be disappointed if the the work, the study, all that stuff, all the consultation and there was still resistance to it? You'd be disappointed by that
3: well i think that that's what we have to do you have to sort of build coalitions of support bring people on board you know again i talked to some of my colleagues in advance of this vote and and there's a lot of a uh, lot of hesitation and i say to them look this stuff already happens people already leave empty cases and bottles in the park if you're the type of person that d- does that you know you don't frankly care whether it's legal or illegal to drink in the park my view is that let's support and facilitate you know social friendly, enjoyable experiences in the park. Uh, mm. And if you're going to have a beer with a couple of buddies or family, not a big deal. Just, you know, don't be a dirt bag about it and, and leave all that's your right. The park. That's right.
0: Yeah. That's right. And, and would, yeah, I, I've been to Woodbine beach enough. I'm, I'm out in Ajax. So that's, that's a close beach to us as supposed to coming all the way down Ontario. It's like, it's like the top gun volleyball scene every weekend at the, on the volleyball courts. I mean, it we just... have
3: the most volleyball courts uh, on a public <laughs> beach in North America. Fun fact: Woodbine Beach. We've got nearly a hundred. So wow. it is. It is a. It's it's a it's a magnet for people mm. from the whole region. It's a blue flag beach. It's spectacular. Uh, and for the most part, we you know we have twenty thousand people down there every weekend, and most people are are really good about it. They come for a good time. They enjoy themselves. Yeah. They're, they're courteous, uh, but it's always, you know, as as with a lot of things, a few bad actors that kind of ruin it for everyone. And that's what we sort of need to be thoughtful about.
0: Uh, we're speaking with Brad Bradford, who's city council for Ward 19, uh, beaches East York. Uh, I appreciate the extra time, Brad. Thanks very much. Um, so uh, the TTC is getting sued by the Toronto woman who was pushed onto the tracks of the subway station last month. I know there's only probably so much you can say about a pending legal matter. Um, she's making the case. Uh, that uh, there were in there were not sufficient safety protocols. A lot of people have brought up this notion of these barriers uh, that would cost a ton of money. I know New York is uh, with their subways looking at a pilot project uh, right now, but it, it's expensive. And I I see them in in the UK. They're on the tube in, in the UK um, in London. But my goodness, it's a it's an awful lot of money. Not to say that this shouldn't happen at some point in time. I know you're on the uh, you're on the TTC. Uh, you're a board member of the TTC. What's is there a future plan to, to at least look at these potential barriers for safety?
3: Yeah, and I would just start by saying, you know, that that incident that happened with, with Shamsa was, you know, just absolutely tragic and, and terrifying, frankly, and, and everybody saw the footage. And so that's alarming and it undermines our confidence and we need to restore trust and confidence in the TTC, especially on the other side of the pandemic, welcoming folks back to transit, making sure people can get around the city safely. That's our top priority. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know the conversation about uh barriers on our platforms it's it's not new we've been discussing this for a little while we actually have looked into that as at the Ttc and and you're right it's uh it's a big purchase ticket item um the estimates back in 2018 were more than a billion dollars. Uh, to install that on, on line one, so it's a huge investment, especially as we're looking to build out transit and expand the, and grow the network to deal with uh, you know the 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 strain on the capacity that we have right now. But I think it is an important conversation, and as we bring more people to transit you know not tomorrow not next week not next month but looking ahead and building a city for the future you know we are going to need to accommodate more people our transit system is going to do more heavy lifting so those conversations are important and and I do think it's worth looking at like you said new york is is moving in that direction uh it certainly exists in the uk and many parts of asia and mm. as our system grows and we need to accommodate more riders uh, those are the types of investments that we're going to need to
0: make. One of the things I didn't realize, and, and maybe people, some listeners wouldn't either, um, is that a lot of the research shows that the doors also improve service because you, you, the operators don't have to slow down as considerably as they do to approach the crowded platforms. They, they're able to, to stop the doors open. Uh, you get on and, and that's that. And as you know, we need with more people. We want more people on transit. Um, more efficient transit is going to make for more riders.
3: That's right. The uh the boarding time actually is where this the system can get jammed up. We have a new thing coming in. Everyone's been dealing with the construction over the past decade of weekend closures. I know that's been painful for everyone, but what we've been doing is installing automatic train control, and that allows us to run the trains much closer together. It's a computer automated system, so we can get down to 90 seconds in between trains during peak periods and rush hour. So that's a big improvement and automatic uh and automatic train control coupled with uh, the the boarding doors, uh, that would really smooth things out in the station. We we all know those, uh, you know, if you've been at Young and Bloor in the morning, uh, it can be a crush of people. And obviously the trains can't get in and out as quickly because we gotta be mindful of safety, mind the gap, so to speak. So those things can work in tandem and make improvements. And, and that's what we're gonna have to do as we continue to grow more people come into transit we got to make it safer we got to make it a better option for folks
0: city councilor brad bradford is our guest on toronto today on 640 toronto the final issue you guys got a lot done yesterday in terms of legislation uh for your meeting One of the things that happened is the hiring of private security guards uh, in parks. You voted for um, that. I I think we'd agree. Um, People can't live in encampments in the park. Policing is not an ideal solution to come in and have scenes like we had last summer. Um, It was sort of and and the protesters showed up and and we're looking for uh, looking for confrontation. Um, It's we got to avoid scenes like that. We'd all agree. What will the security forces do to prevent that?
3: Well that's that's a good question and and I I think as this came to council it was a last minute motion put on the agenda it kind of came out in the media there we saw that there there had been an RFP request for proposal issued to have security services in some of our downtown parks where there's been a history of an encampment and as you said you know, encampments are not good for anyone, it's it's not good for the folks who are experiencing homelessness and, and living in encampments, it's it's not good for the residents, it's not good for the city, uh, and our and our parks are public, and, and you're not allowed to camp in them. So, mm-hmm. at the same time, we need to focus on building housing for people, because, you know, you can't live in a park, we, we need to ensure that folks have the dignity of a roof over their head, so we have a very ambitious housing agenda, we are driving that forward as quickly as we can, but it's a challenge. This is about being proactive, recognizing the situation that we got into last some summer was not good. Nobody liked to see that. Um, you know, the, the way that the encampments had to be cleared, uh, you know, was painful and uh it, it wasn't a good look for the city. So, what we're doing now, the security, this is not a surveillance exercise, it's not going to be a, a major boots on the ground presence, as some folks have suggested. It's just going to be some security services there that. As folks uh, may be moving uh, into the park and and looking Mm -hmm. to uh, to set up a tent, they are going to connect with our Streets to Homes team, we're going to send them right out to the park and and make sure that they know about the other options that are available to them through housing Mm -hmm. and shelter and support services. So it's really about, you know, making sure that we have a rapid response to connect those people with the supports that are available here in Toronto. Um, Because we Mm -hmm. don't want folks sleeping outside, we don't want them sleeping rough. We want to make sure that we get them connected with the resources that are available. That's what these folks in the, in the parks are going to be there to do. And uh, you know, staff have the delegated authority, I, I think yeah. all of us would have liked to have had a little more heads up and notice on this. Uh, but as it came forward, we asked those questions, and uh, you know, I think it's better to be proactive on this on the front end than to end up in a situation where we found ourselves last summer.
0: Yeah, gotta find a happy medium and, and it's gotta it's gotta have a, a a greater element of uh of understanding and, and civility to it. Maybe this leads us in this direction. Before we let you go, um, would you like to make a, a game seven prediction? We will destroy the audio if the lightning win. I promise. We won't, we won't play it. We won't play it on Monday. It'll go to the deepest, darkest uh uh areas of Lake Ontario. We'll throw the tape in. Sunday. Morning. You're not
3: going to need to do that, Greg, because we're going to have a Leafs win tomorrow. <laughs> uh, you, you can take that to the bank. Um, uh, you know, Tavera's putting him on the board when it mattered. It's great leadership in that locker room. This team did not fade. Uh, I think they looked really confident and they built confidence throughout the series. Like that's that's my impression. Uh, and you know what? You gotta go through uh you gotta go through Tampa. Everybody wants to take a shot at the title. So we'll take care of these guys on Saturday night. Uh it's been 18 years since we've had a playoff series win. Everybody knows. We're going to compete for 60 minutes and then we're going to move on to either Florida or Washington.
0: I, I got you. If not, if not, if they, if they gag Monday, you know, I know city council is a meet for a while. Can you take some of the 40 million for those four players and redistribute it among the general population? Can you do that Let next week? Can you put a motion forward on that?
3: Yeah, well, well, we'll we'll have to call call management and just see what they can do. Uh, MLSE always wants to help out in the city, and uh, they're great partners. But we're, we're gonna we're gonna need those guys. Cause we're I know. Going all the way, yes, and we're gonna take care of it Saturday night. Let's go, baby. All
0: right. Hopefully, another two weeks of hockey. Brad, thanks for uh, coming on the show. Appreciate your passion for politics, and and we'll do this again sometime. Thank you so much for listening. It means so much that you're as loyal to the show as we want to be to you as an audience. Check us out, by the way, to listen live at 640toronto.com or on the Radio Player Canada app and search Toronto Today. Thanks again. Have a great weekend.